The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. All of the projections we reference during the show are available to our patrons before we record each week. Tier 2 and Tier 3 supporters also receive exclusive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include daily updated player ratings, depth charts, and point spread projections, plus our team and player stat projections database. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more. What is going on, everybody? It is the College Football Winning Edge Podcast Edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish. Follow him on the Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, to give him a follow. And, boys, it's a good week. Uh, there's good news and bad news in the good week, though. The SEC is coming back. And we're all excited about that, but a bunch of games have been postponed or yeah. moved back or canceled or whatever. So, uh, Nick, uh, kind of a bittersweet, fun week here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's I don't know if it's just I kind of got in a, a little bit of a rhythm I felt uh, so I, I, I didn't maybe work ahead as much as I should have at the tail end of last week, but I've been... You know, we have more games on the schedule because the SEC, seven more games. The Big 12 is, is you know, in the full swing for uh, conference play. So they'll be, you know, on every week from here on out after a lot of teams were off last week. So there's more to get through. I feel like I've been trying to catch up uh, the last three or four days and, and finally think I've, I'm almost back on schedule. But it's it's great. It's a good problem to have is, is having more <laughs> games to, to prepare for and, and deal with and, you know, write up and make sure the, the numbers are uh, as good as they can be and all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's interesting as I was uh, putting Wednesday's a big post that I do on on uh, Patreon where I run through all of our different projections uh for every game and, and have a little bit of a uh you know put some notes in there on if you know a particular quarterback's injured or something like that so it's it's a big you know maybe the most important post we do each week uh for patrons and right when i was getting ready to hit submit i had to go through and delete you know three <laughs> different lines because games no. were canceled and then after it published another one got canceled so uh, it's something, unfortunately, we just kind of have to, you know, deal with week to week. It, it's nice to now have more games on the schedule, but we're going to be dodging, you know, what is it, dodging raindrops or whatever, uh, trying to, to avoid uh, all these cancellations. It seems like we've got a, a handful each week from here on. Or yeah, Xavier, today. I know I know you're very, very excited uh, about the SEC coming back, but the the canceled games uh, make it. I, I don't know that they curb it too much, but uh, they they definitely uh, you know bring a, a, a gray cloud over our sunshiny day here for sure. Yeah, and it seems to be that the games that are at noon are the ones that get canceled right away, which makes everything suck because then you get like two games at noon, maybe if you're lucky. Uh, then you get 
just and you get two or three games at three o'clock and then we're all trying to like clamor for the night games but it's a lull in there i need my noon pin, big 10 games back i never thought i'd say it but i need my pin <laughs> i need i need my penn state maryland game back at noon that gets interesting in the third quarter before penn state pulls away i, I need this in my life right now I, I like all those noon uh, games better when they move back from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. for me uh, <laughs> when the time change happens. So, uh, but you know, because there's nothing like having egg McMuffins with your football. Like, come on, man. Do I really need to be eating breakfast, watching football? Like, at least give me till lunchtime. So, uh, <laughs> I'll be moving to the central time zone next year. So uh, it should get a little bit easier for me. So uh, I'll, I'll be happy about that. Just it, being a night person. You know, uh, waking up at nine is never fun, but uh, I've got know. somewhere to be at seven thirty a.m. Swansea City is going to be on ESPN Plus this. Uh, this are you? Saturday. Oh, there you go. You Very nice. Swansea supporter. I, sorry, I, I might still be up. Uh, some perfect. of those days, That's like right. uh, at, at seven a.m. Your time is uh, four for me, so uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm at least still up in bed most most four a.m.s, but. Uh, Anyway, we got uh, a lot of stuff to get to this week, and let's just talk about these canceled games first mm -hmm. because uh, I'll just burn through them here. It's Notre Dame-Wake Forest, Houston-North Texas, Tulsa-Arkansas State, USF, and FAU. So Notre Dame-Wake Forest has already been rescheduled for December 12th, but uh, the, the hampering it does for you and me, Nick, is really – I've got a bunch of guys in these games on my CFF team. So I'm going to have to go make a bunch of pickups already. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the benefit I, I guess is some of these conferences have built in that December 12th as a makeup date, uh, you know, ahead of the, the week where we expect the ACC championship game will be, I guess, you know, some teams could take the route of the big 10 and, and schedule some, uh, you know, compensatory games or whatever you want to call them uh, on the day of the ACC championship game. If, if somebody's not in it. So I guess, you know, there, there's a little bit more wiggle room, but eventually you kind of run out of room. And then, uh, you know, with the big 10, I'm sure we'll spend more time talking about them in, in the next month, but uh, gave themselves, zero room for error for, for this yeah. type of rescheduling. So it's it's an unfortunate thing we're dealing with for sure. I mean, Houston, I feel terrible for, has had four different uh, scheduled opening opponents and, and each one has gotten canceled. I read a, a great story in The Athletic last week, uh, towards the end of the week, about how the coaching staffs at Houston and Baylor were preparing for that game on such short notice and, you know, the, the staff worked, you know, through the weekend, cramming, trying to get all the film together, breakdowns and all that sort of stuff. And, and then that game gets canceled. So they turn their attention, you know, here to a, a, another opponent, North Texas, that gets canceled. So feel really bad for those guys. FAU's had a couple of games uh, canceled. Neither, you know, Houston nor FAU have, have taken the field yet because of these types of cancellations. So definitely feel for those programs for the players, for the coaches and, and all that involved, you know, it goes without saying we want everybody to stay safe, but uh, you, you hate to, to really prepare uh, for this for, for, you know, days and weeks. And, and then uh, just a matter of, you know, a couple of days or hours before kickoff, it, it gets uh, canceled. So hate, hate to see that for sure. Yeah. Xavier, it's uh it's a tough blow, you know, especially, 
uh, first game of the season, like Nick just mentioned for Houston in particular, you know, uh, to lose, they're supposed to start almost a month ago. And uh, yeah. here we are. They have, uh, you know, still no game this weekend. So it sucks. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about the players here. Every week now, they've gotten jazzed up and ready to go. And just to have their games canceled sucks. Like, they want to be playing football. And to not have that, and to every week have, like, the carrot in front of the horse. And the car- and the horse can never eat the carrot. It, it just sucks because you you feel like you're almost working out and practicing for nothing. Because you're almost expecting now. I know a bunch of those kids have to think, we're just not going to play. This is just not going to happen. Every chance we get, it gets slashed down. It's just not going to happen. We might as well call off the season. Uh, but, yeah, it sucks as well because, for the most part, a lot of these are tune-up games for the conference play. Uh, and, and teams need these tune-up games, uh, you know, to get ready for what's going to be a grueling conference schedule week in and week out. And like, as you said it, Nick, they don't have much wiggle room. I mean, the December 12th is the last day that you can play games with the college football playoff being the implication that uh, matters there. So, it really is a dire need right now to get games in as much as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, tough breaks uh, for a lot of these schools. They all need their monster before they get going into their their real show, right? Are we doing sponsorship? Are we doing sponsorship? <laughs> uh, well, I think you give them more than enough money. They should be uh, sponsored. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he, he's taking it down there. But we do have some good news. Obviously, the Big Ten announced their schedule and. I thought it was pretty funny. It's like, well, Nebraska, you want to play so bad. Here we go. Go ahead and face Ohio State week what? one. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> good luck with all that. But the Big Ten is solidified. That is done. It's squared away. We have a schedule, which, you know, we just talked about how there's uh, very little wiggle room for the current teams. There is no wiggle room for them at all. The Pac-12 still deciding. Um Obviously, a lot more stuff than just COVID going on on the West Coast with all the fires in California and Oregon and Washington. So I, I think it makes it a little bit more up in the air, but it seems like they're going to get it done. Uh, there's also positivity towards the MAC and the Mountain West, Nick. So uh, your thoughts on the potential for, we know the Big Ten's coming back, but Pac-12, MAC, Mountain West. Yeah, I mean, interesting to see. We also got uh, official word from UMass that they're, uh, had originally, you know, planned to, to move to the spring, decided that they're going to try to make a go of it uh, in the fall. Don't have a schedule, but I'm sure, you know, with these cancellations uh, that we're Zombie seeing now. Very happy. And very happy about <laughs> Well, and as, a, as an independent that's out there, I mean, it's, it's an opportunity perhaps for uh, somebody like, you know, Houston, it sounds like. It, it, this wasn't uh, COVID related for them in either case, Baylor or North Texas, the last two weeks, it, it was the mm-hmm. opponent that's had mm-hmm. the flare up. So, you know, it, it's not ideal, of course, but if, if UMass had been, had decided this theoretically a few weeks ago, were able to, to ramp up fall camp, get ready uh, to play this week, you could technically, you know, say, Hey, the AD at, at Houston call up UMass, we need a last minute, uh, you know, team to come in. We'll pay for uh, the flights. We'll pay for you know testing, whatever. Let's let's get it done. There's there's a need for for somebody like that. So maybe UMass can can help fill that. And then of course, you know, just the opportunity to play is I'm sure uh, something that that those players are really excited about. Uh, so you know, good news. I mean, the the Mac. It, it sounds there's 
sort of differing things on, they have a lot more financial concerns than most of right. these other uh, programs do where, you know, football, uh, you know, ramping up and, and not being, uh, they, you know, had, had they been in the same boat as, as the Sun Belt and Conference USA or, or uh, the AAC and, and had started from the beginning, they would have been in some of these premium you know, time slots television wise. And, and you could see that that could potentially help make a little bit of money. But if they're just following everybody else back in, they're probably not going to get those. And, and I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a uh, money person, a, a, a TV revenue person or anything like that. But, but just some of the things that I've seen briefly, you know, uh, reading headlines and, and things like that, it sounds like maybe them coming back isn't the most financially sound thing to do, but would love to, you know, if they're able to, to make it happen, would, would certainly love to have uh, more football. So whoever's able to, to make it happen. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just sort of wait and see. And, and if uh, they're back in the mix, we'll certainly uh, be here to, uh, to talk about it. Yeah. Your thoughts on the potential for, you know, we know the big Ten's coming back, so you'll get those games. Uh, pretty soon here, Xavier. So we're we're excited about that. But uh, they're kind of, I think it's the second to last week in October. It's the twenty second or twenty uh, fourth or whatever it is, yeah. right? And then if the Pac twelve comes back, I think it'll be on Halloween the following week. So uh, excited to get uh, some of these teams back. Yeah, I just want my ten thirty p.m. games back. I mean, you know, your Pac-12 after dark. Yeah, I, I need my games when the sun's been down for almost four hours. And I'm losing all of the water that's in my eyes. I'm almost dried out because I don't. All the blue light is killing me. I need my Pac-12 games, as well. Nick, you alluded to the MAC and it being financially feasible right now. The only issue that I see from a TV revenue standpoint is that unlike in the past, they have to also contend with the NBA at the moment because we typically have matching on Tuesdays or Thursdays, and typically those slots are wide open. Right now, you've got playoff games from the NBA that are on ESPN exclusively, if I'm not mistaken. Either them or TNT, they're sharing it right now. Uh, but I believe the NBA Finals would be exclusively on ESPN. They would have to share possibly those Tuesday or Thursdays with the NBA, and that's just not a good scenario. It's one thing to be playing by yourself. It's another thing to have LeBron to contend with as a revenue spot. So, I think they and, and the testing, I mean, the, ABC, the money for the testing is... is uh, uh, you know, another factor. And so it's, it's, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of things yeah. involved. So, you know, we'll yeah. see. Ho hopefully they can make it work. That'd be great. Yeah. I, and I think they will be able to, you know, I mean, uh, if you think, uh, yeah, making so much less money is bad, just think about making no money. You know, I mean, that's kind of the difference we're, we're facing here. So as long as, uh, everyone can agree to it and we can get, you know, uh, state, state ruling boards on, uh, you know, on schedule with everybody, we should be good. I, I think everybody's going to come back and play, but we'll see. There could be some weirdness um, for sure. But uh, then we had a couple uh, other of really it's depth chart stuff uh, come down at Ole Miss. Matt Corral is listed at the top of the unofficial depth chart, uh, but it is with an or for John Reese Plumley. So it looks like they're both going to get some playing time there. Uh, in that first game, right, Nick? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm more excited personally to see John Reese Plumley. I think he's just got a special skill set as a runner uh, that, you know, 
Lane Kiffin and, and uh, Jeff Libby, maybe that's not as important in the, the style of offense that they would ideally like to run. But, I mean, you know, both have had mobile quarterbacks in the past. So so he's my personal favorite, but I certainly understand the appeal of Corral. And, and they are, uh, you know, have a, a, a bit different skill set and sometimes two quarterbacks with uh, a variety of, of uh, assets and, and, and skills uh, putting two of them out there sometimes could be a benefit. It's it's not always if you've got two quarterbacks, you've got none. So uh, be interesting to see how that one shakes out. But I, you know, my my own personal rooting interest, I think I'd rather watch Plumley more often than not. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to watch Plumley too more for CFF reasons. But uh, good luck to both these guys. You just you have to open up with a brand new coaching staff against Florida. So uh, fourteen point dogs on these out here. SEC East preseason favorite, Florida. We, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, they're sipping the lack of quarterback play <laughs> Georgia right now. It's cool. We get it. You're drinking swamp water. We understand. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't see what Kiffin sees in Corral. He's had two years there at Ole Miss now, where in both years he's looked rough and then been supplanted at the quarterback position. I like Plumley. I think he has the bigger upside. Um, but – as well, you know, if Corral fits what Kiffin wants to do better, being the pocket passer that he is, then you go with your guy. Uh, I think this is John Reese Plumley's job to lose, though. Um, and I think Corral would have to have one heck of a game against Florida to take that spot away from him. And, and yeah. Corral can run a little bit, but Plumley is yeah. like Plumlee legitimately is like one yeah. of the fastest players maybe in college football. I mean, he's he's. Yeah. Yeah, Plumlee is one of those guys that if he goes to the NFL, it's probably not going to be as a quarterback. It'll be yeah, at a he's not the he's best. He, yeah, he's yeah. Just Kobe, you know, he'll, he'll move there. Yeah, he's not. Uh, who's the big kid for Mississippi State a couple years ago that they uh, Nick Fitzgerald? That's oh, Nick he's Fitzgerald. He's not Nick Man. Fitzgerald bad, but he's probably closer Ooh. to him than he is to some other uh, good. It's not a terrible so. comp. Not at all. <laughs> Except he's a lot faster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fitzgerald was just enormous. Uh, yeah, Mississippi State and Missouri also have this. I, I'm I'm not surprised that Missouri, you know, Sean Robinson just transferred in. Uh, Bazelak is with him there, and they'll probably both get runs, but run. But I was surprised that KJ Costello and Will Rogers are listed as co-starters for uh, Mississippi State. Nick, that one uh, surprised me just a little bit. Yeah, and and I don't think uh, I don't think we need to to trust that. Uh, I saw something. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if this is true or not. It, it, I think you know the year after a college football season ends, it basically gets uh, wiped from my memory for some reason. But somebody said, yeah, Gardner Minshew was listed with an or by his name, you know, prior to the bowl game that year when he was at Washington state with Mike Leap. So, you know, don't, don't pay too much uh, attention to that or, but there've been a lot of, you know, compliments coming uh, out of fall camp about Will Rogers. You have to think that it's set up really, really well for KJ Costello to, to, you know, be the guy this year probably and, and go on to the NFL uh, after this year. And then Rogers would be, a true freshman still in 2021. So I uh, have to think that he'll be in line to be the starter and, and great, you know, future for him for sure. But yeah, I think, I think Costello, everything that I've heard, you know, from players and things like that, uh, very, very complimentary of him say, you know, he's, he's number one, he's the guy, he's uh, going to be great and, and all of that. But 
yeah, a little bit of surprise there with the or Missouri. I also didn't don't really believe it, but you and I talked yesterday on the, the CFF uh, show that uh, you know maybe because uh, Basilic is a redshirt freshman, sometimes a guy really will take a huge step forward in that redshirt freshman year and then kind of take uh, a job by storm. I mean, you know, Jameis Winston was a redshirt freshman, uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Manziel. So uh, the you know that there there is the possibility that that could happen. Uh, I still I thought Sean Robinson was kind of a perfect fit for Missouri when he landed there. So I, I would be very surprised if Robinson doesn't uh, you know start this game and and uh, maybe even is a legit full time starter. Uh, but I, I guess I believe it a, a tiny bit more than I would at, at Mississippi State. <laughs> Uh, Xavier, I mean, if Mike Leach said something wrong and inappropriate, this would be the first I've heard of it, right? It's always just good stuff uh, from him and has never had an issue that I can remember, correct? No comment. <laughs> no comment. I, 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 could, I couldn't roll with it. I couldn't do it. Uh, but you know what? Nick said this months ago, or at least a month ago. He said, why not keep two quarterbacks on the depth chart so that you have to prepare for both? in the shortened season when you don't know what all is going on. I mean, this sounds like a move Mike Leach would do. He would have two quarterbacks up there. You'd have to prepare for both, and he would play K.J. Costello the entire way. Um, as far as uh, Robinson and, and Basilek, honestly, it feels a lot like the decision that happened down in Florida State to an extent where it looked like Purdy had an opportunity to, play with, to, to have that job until getting injured. Sometimes a new head coach just wants his guy. And he has his guy that he wants to roll with, not just this year, for but for the next couple of years, if that's what he can get out of him. Uh, Sean Robinson, obviously using multiple years of uh, using years of eligibility already, doesn't have the same kind of length of time that he might have with Basil, like at his quarterback position, like the same thing that happened in Florida State with Blackman being the elder statesman, uh, statesman compared to Purdy as well. So. Yeah, and a couple other uh, depth chart pieces here. Mac Jones is going to start for Alabama. Doesn't mean Bryce Young is out of the running yet at all. But nine and three. Um, yeah, <laughs> Mac Jones is going to be uh, the guy to begin the season for Bama. TCU head coach released a depth chart uh, which had a bunch of odd starters, but uh, Matthew Downing and Max uh, Duggan, who just came back mm-hmm. from his heart issue, he got cleared. Uh, as co-starters in that situation, South Alabama, which plays you know tonight, as you're listening to this, uh, is going to uh, start Chance Lovertich over Desmond Trotter. Uh, UAB is going to go to uh, Bryson Lacero with Tyler Johnston out with that shoulder injury, and uh, Spencer Sanders is in a walking boot right now. As we know, I know they were planning to try to get him to practice today, Wednesday, as we're recording this but I don't know that he has or has not uh, practiced. I think Xavier shaking his head. I think maybe he's saying that he did not practice, but uh, I, I'm not 100% sure. So uh, a little different on those um, uh, on those depth charts than we expected, Nick. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, Mac Jones starting wasn't, wasn't really a surprise. Uh, you know, maybe Bryce Young becomes – uh, like Tua Tagovailoa, and and just is too talented to keep on the bench. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. But Matt Jones played really, really well last year. Put up a lot of uh, really excellent numbers in you know limited opportunities. Had some terrible, terrible mistakes. The Auburn game 
you know, being the the most obvious. But uh, I, I'm pretty excited to see what Mac Jones looks like, but also excited uh, once they open up it, you know, uh, take a, a four touchdown lead or, or whatever against Missouri. Interested to see uh, Bryce Young, if he's not already in the game, uh, see what he can do as well. TCU, <laughs> I mean, Gary Patterson does some interesting stuff with uh, depth charts. I saw Pro Wells, the the tight end, was listed as a starter at one of the wide receiver positions uh, and a backup at tight end. And so, I, you know, he, he had guys listed at multiple uh, spots on, on the defense. Guys returning starters were listed third on the depth chart at, at spots. So, I, you Looks know, like he just dumped out his puzzle pieces <laughs> and spread them around. Right? Yeah, I mean, who, who knows? And, and these depth charts, this time of year especially, you know, we, yeah. we've got preseason magazines. We've got uh, the stories that we read to try to, to, you know, pick up little nuggets about who's winning uh, position battles and things like that. And then we see, you know, big on, on uh, you know, black and white, uh, here's the depth chart. And it's got the official school logo. So you think, okay, that's what they're going with. And, and we get all excited about it and think, you know, TCU, Zach Evans, the five-star true freshman who everybody expects to be the guy. Uh, at running back was listed fifth uh, among running backs behind another true freshman. So, you know, you, you, you look at that and you think, man, you know, I was so excited to, to watch uh, this five-star true freshman. He's never even going to get on the field. Well, I mean, don't, don't be surprised if he's in there in the second series. I mean, this, this yeah. is written. Yeah. On official stationery or whatever, but it's not written in stone and, and uh, guys, coaches are, are, you know, notorious for, for using some misdirection from time to time. So uh, let's, you know, don't get too excited one way or the other when we see a, a depth chart like this, but just try to, you know, take take what little pieces we can. To me, the most important thing is, is a guy not on there? Because right, that, right. that's sort of what you kind of need to, uh, to, to look deeper at. So, okay, there's an injury I didn't know of or, or a suspension that I wasn't aware of, that sort of thing. So, that's more what I'm looking at, but uh, it is always interesting, and I do read through all of them and try to incorporate the information as, as best I can in our, our team profiles. But there were a couple of spots with TCU that I just had to say, you know what, this returning starter is not probably going to be the ninth receiver uh, on the the list, so maybe I'm just going to wait and see what happens on Saturday before I make any you know major changes. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on the most recent depth chart news, which is, you know, nine out of 10, it's quarterback stuff because that's what everyone's looking at. Yeah. Um, obviously, Gary Patterson has been playing a lot of Madden 21, which is why his decisions are the way that they are. Uh, but once again, early in the year, I mean, you can really do whatever you want to with the depth charts. It's all about who you decide to play on Saturday. Uh, it's weird, but not surprising with how weird this year has been. Um, Spencer Sanders news. Nothing as of yet has come out saying that he's not playing. However, West Virginia are preparing are preparing that he will play. Uh, so right. they have decided that they're going to scheme for him. What it sounds like from West Virginia is they're expecting him to play. Uh, and they said if they have to adjust, they have to adjust. That's literally the words that came out of his mouth. Uh, I don't know how well that'll pan out for him. That doesn't sound too smart, but I'm not a coach. You know, hey, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, you know. Um, and obviously, and then with South Alabama and UAB, this is just a weird game. Uh, I personally like, if I had to pick a quarterback to pick as a backup, 
I like Lucero. He's the guy who's had more time here. He's the guy who's had more opportunities at the position so far throughout the year. He's looked pretty good while he was out there, up and down, uh, but has had some flashes. Uh, so weird situation going on in that game, but I like Lucero to be the one to lean towards if I'm trying to pick either one. Yeah, I got you. Uh, all right, so let's take a look at uh, what happened last week in the games that we broke down. And this very first one uh, surprised me, to be honest. Boston College came out and dominated Duke. 26 to six in this game. And if you just go and you look at the stats, you go, okay, well, Duke converted nine of 16 third downs. They were one of one in fourth down efficiency. They ran for more yards. Um, they had um, almost the same total yards. They were behind by like 30. Uh, so it looks like a fairly even game. But the big thing here, Nick, seemed to be the time of possession 36 minutes to Boston College, so only 23 for Duke, and they just converted their scoring opportunities, 26 to 6 in this one. Uh, Jerkovic had uh, 300 yards passing. Bailey only had 2.8 yards per carry, but he did get in the end zone. Uh, Zay Flowers with a big one. Hunter Long with a nice game in this one as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, Duke just uh, really shot itself in the foot. I mean, had... Uh, multiple scoring opportunities ended up with five turnovers that just sort of, you know, doomed them. Uh, Boston College, I thought, played pretty well. Uh, they, you know, our, our numbers were on the side of Boston College, thought that, you know, that was one that we identified, thought that the wrong team uh, was favored. Duke came in, uh, you know, as the favorite off a, a decent showing against Notre Dame, but you know, Boston College has, has really made some steps forward as far as upping the talent on hand. And, and Phil Jerkovic, uh, first start as a college quarterback, uh, looked, you know, looked pretty good. 300 yards, a couple of touchdowns to throw a pick, but uh, was solid. You know, they, they didn't uh, run quite like we expect Boston College or, or are used to. I mean, only 84 yards on 42 carries isn't going to get it done. Uh, probably in the future, but you know, good signs from the passing game. Zay Flowers looked, at, you know, explosive, dynamic, yeah. as a, uh, a receiver, and they're going to need that because we we got word today that Kobe White uh, has suffered a, a torn ACL, is going to be out for yeah. the year. So uh, downer there for sure. But Flowers looks like he's going to be the the go to guy, and then Hunter Long at tight end is is you know going to be one of the most productive tight ends uh, probably in in the country certainly in the ACC so uh, there were some good signs the defense you know uh, definitely uh, had some some you know stepped up did you know bend don't break and, and took the football away forced two interceptions and and uh, overall you know played a played a solid game it, it probably you know this if you played this game over, I don't think that we would necessarily expect a 20-point Boston College win. Just, you know, would expect maybe Duke uh, to, to take care of business a little bit better than it did on Saturday. But, uh, you know, solid first start, uh, first game for Jeff Hapley at, at Boston College. And I think some really good signs moving forward. Unfortunately, Duke, it, it looks like, lost uh, two uh, corners to, to pretty significant injuries. So have to to read up on the details, but I saw that just before we started recording. So uh, more bad news for them, but overall, you know, BC solid start. And, and uh, for, you know, our numbers thinking that, that we should go with BC on this one, pretty, pretty happy with the result. 
Yeah, your thoughts on that BC Duke game, Xavier? I mean, Duke. It's the second week in a row. They shot themselves in the foot. They they uh, they moved the ball better than maybe any team in the country at the moment. They can't finish their dinner to save their lives. Um, how do you get to the red zone that many times and not capitalize anything? I mean, outside of one score, which wasn't in the red zone. Um, and even that, you missed the extra point. So it was a 7-6 ball game for the most part until the second half. Uh, I was really expecting Chase Bryce to look better than what he did. Um, maybe I need to get off the Chase Bryce cha- train a little bit. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take one leg and put it on the ground at the moment, and, and we'll see what, how how he plays the rest of the year. Um, but he looked rough at times. He he made a lot of just young quarterback type errors, not seeing the linebacker, not taking a profit. Uh, you know you can't go broke off of a profit. A lot of just decision making that just was head scratching throughout the game. Uh, but kudos to Boston College in every in every way they. Came out, they did what they were supposed to do. I'm thinking about putting Boston College in that running backs list, like Wisconsin, where it doesn't really matter who the running back is. They're going to run the football effectively no matter who's in the backfield. Uh, and, you know, the offensive line against the run or, or during run plays looked really well. They have some ways to go in the passing game. Chris Rumpf was able to get to the quarterback for the first time this year. Uh, but, you know, mostly positives from Boston College. And they're a team I am going to definitely respect a little bit more as we move into the season. Now, the next game that we went over last week was probably the most surprising outcome, I thought. Uh, Marshall, 17 over App State, 7. And, you know, uh, they did it with defense, and they did it with timely turnovers was really the thing in this game because App State had 26 first downs, but they were 4 for 13 on third down. So that's a lot of bend but don't break defense for uh, Marshall. They, They did a great job there. And just that big, big fumble. I mean, that poor kid. Uh, who was the kid that fumbled the ball? He looked like he was going to cry for like a <laughs> he, quarter he did, straight. Yeah, uh, oh. yeah. I don't, I don't uh, remember his name. Yeah, it was, maybe, he, maybe he it's looked so miserable. Uh, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, he was, was it Mike looked, Evans. It was Mike Evans. I think. Uh, yeah, Mike Evans. Maybe. Right, right. Yeah. He he was the one that that fumbled. I mean, he was going in. He had a touchdown, and the corner caught up to him. And just punched it out, and then you know the uh, the safety recovered in the end zone, and uh, that was really all she wrote on that game. So uh, just a surprising, I guess you know, surprising to me. I you know, App State finally ranked, uh, looking real good, and then goes down in a game like this. Nick, uh, uh, a, a shocker for their program for sure. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a disappointing day, certainly for the App State offense. I mean, they, it, it seemed that. You know, coming in, they had uh, a three-headed uh, running back rotation going, and Marcus Williams being the the starter, but he didn't play. I know he had been a little bit banged up, uh, but they went back and forth with with Cameron Peoples and Dietrich Harrington, and couldn't really get going like we expect. The absolute you know offensive line, one of the best G five units in the country, and and traditionally a very strong uh, rushing attack, just just couldn't get going. I mean, you know. Uh, barely uh, three yards per carry and, and under a hundred yards on the ground. Not, not what we expect. Zach Thomas uh, at times, very shaky. I mean, you know, through a pick completed 22 or 38, uh, just not, they, they just really couldn't get it going. And uh, they're, they're losing a little bit with Corey Sutton, not being there. I mean, Thomas Hennigan is, is good, uh, but he is, is basically the, 
uh, option at, at receiver right now. I, I would love to see Jalen Virgil, who did have you know the bright spot for App State, had a, a touchdown, a, a really Great athletic catch. play. Yeah. Uh, but you know, just just didn't get him involved maybe as much as is you would hope. And, and, you know, kudos to Marshall for playing some really, really solid defense for, for them to win this game and for Grant Wells to look as shaky as he did for most of mm-hmm. the afternoon. I mean, 11 of 25, 163 yards, no touchdowns and a pick, you know, played like a, a red shirt freshman. Maybe we should have seen it, it coming him take a, a small step back after such a, an excellent first game, uh, you know, in, in week one, but, uh, Marshall is going to be a dangerous team. And, and uh, Brendan Knox looked great running the football. Xavier Gaines is is one of the most athletically gifted tight ends in the country, somebody that, that really uh, you need to be watching if, if you're watching a Marshall game. And, and solid, solid win. And, and our official projection, we were on the wrong side of this, but I did get to brag a little bit. Uh, talking about our, our talent edges actually had Marshall as the more talented team. So uh, excited about that outcome, even though we didn't get the, the official uh, tick mark on the, on the score sheet, but uh, trying to, to, you know, take some silver linings where we can, but, <laughs> but good, good, uh, good, good game for Marshall for sure. Something to build on. And, and for App State, let's not completely write them off quite yet. I think we'll, they'll, you know, get back in the swing of things offensively and, and they played, Solid, solid defense might have one of the best corner combos in, in the country. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're yeah. they're definitely still, in my opinion, the favorite in the Sun Belt. This was a disappointment for them, but uh, not the end of the world by any stretch. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, Marshall, a great team, obviously, but App State, a six-point favorite in this game. That's not two points. That's not a point and a half. That's not a pick em game. That's no. App State, the ranked team, should go on the road and win. And uh, they they just didn't look good specifically on offense, like Nick mentioned. Yeah, uh, it's been a shaky year so far for that offense. Uh, Zach Thomas has not looked like the senior, the senior quarterback that you know we all thought he would. Uh, you know, this is a guy who has done twenty plus touchdowns and less than double digits interceptions every year of his career at State, uh, or at least the two the last two years. And it, it, he did not look like the senior quarterback. It looked like two freshmen playing against one another. Uh, but Marshall, kudos to Marshall. They found something that worked. And it's weird when you look at the team stats for both, uh, you know, Marshall had a, almost 120 yards worth of penalties as well. Uh, on top of the fact that they had their own turnovers, the fact that their offense didn't, as far as Grant Wells didn't go sh- was shaky as well. So it, you almost look at App State and goes, well, why didn't you guys win the ball game? It almost looks like at times Marshall was trying to hand it to them with all the penalties that they were accumulating. But Marshall found what worked and they found the running game. You know, 216 yards on the ground. That's five. They, they had five yards per rush uh, in 45 attempts. And actually had no answer uh, to, to, to kind of go to Nick's point. Yes, Grant Wells looked shaky, but they really made sure that his third downs weren't big. Uh, you know, they, they kept him in third and medium a lot. And that's what you do with a young quarterback, you know, to give them an opportunity to go forward on fourth down. They were one for two on fourth down on the day as well. Uh, you know, you really just have to look at Marshall at, at this point and, and you know what they're going to be. They're going to be a team that runs the football heavy. They're going to make sure Grant Wells has uh, third and mediums or less to go for right now to keep him from turning the ball too over too much. But from App State, you have a lot of questions because you're waiting for that offense to play to the ability that you think that they can and they have done over the last couple of years. Uh, you really have to think about whether or not the new coach there has, you know, you know, if they if they, if they've lost something in the coaching change. 
Right, right, exactly. Uh, going down the list here, uh, Houston and, and Baylor was canceled, so uh, didn't have that game. But UCF and Georgia Tech, look, I want to sit here and tell you that UCF, um, you know, played a complete game and dominated on both sides of the ball. But this is all Dylan Gabriel. Uh, he looked amazing in this game. They may not have a national title contender, but they might have a Heisman contender in this kid. He looked fantastic in this one. Over 400 yards passing, 417, four touchdowns, did throw a pick. But anytime they needed a play, he made it, Nick. And he was really the driving force in this game. Yeah, this this was uh, – I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I love watching Dylan Gabriel. And he just puts up great numbers week after week, uh, makes some incredible throws. You know, he'll he'll have a couple of those where you think like, no, 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 no. Th- oh, great job, great job. Way to go. Uh, and, you no, know, no, 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 yes. Right. <laughs> but, you know, this, this for me was a just giant sigh of relief. I spent a lot of last week – worrying about Georgia Tech, writing about Georgia Tech, are we overrating them? Are we underrating, you know, are, are, uh, you know, are we, are we underrating them or are other people overrating them? Uh, and and then this was also, we're all going to blame Georgia Tech. That's going to be yeah, the one. last week. It was <laughs> this week. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about who's keeping me up at night this week, but, uh, <laughs> but last week it was Georgia Tech and this was our biggest, difference or our biggest edge in in where our numbers saw compared to the market and and the odds makers. This was a seven and a half point. uh, UCF was a seven and a half point favorite all week. That number that I saw did not move until the very, very end. I think it got up to eight, maybe eight and a half or so at at some point before it closed. But all week I was looking at it and I was just like, man, I just, we had it set at 23 and so not only was that the biggest edge as far as our number goes, it was my biggest personal position of the week. And I was just very, very nervous. And I, I got more nervous when Georgia Tech kind of tightened things up a little bit uh, in the in the second quarter, cut it to two touchdowns uh, before halftime. But uh, fortunately for, for you know our sake, uh, UCF was able to pull away. Uh, there in the the or actually they pulled it to within one touchdown right in the, mm-hmm. the early fourth quarter, uh, but UCF was able to to pull away and it ended up being similar to to how we projected it. So I was I was pleased with that, but I was also quite impressed with you know the the young true freshman at Georgia Tech, Jeff Sims. We talked a little bit about last week how he. Uh, still will make some mistakes and, and Georgia Tech turned the football over five times. So obviously the, the offense was not uh, operating at, at full capacity, but, you know, he does some things that, that really gets you excited, just sort of the way he moves, the way he uh, sort of orchestrates the offense. And then Jameer Gibbs, the, the high, high four-star true freshman who was able to start this game because Jordan Mason, unfortunately has an apparent uh, lower body you know, leg or ankle injury, not sure which, but uh, Gibbs came in and, you know, the numbers were, were good. We're, we're not, you know, jump off the, the sheet, 66 rushing yards, a touchdown, 60 receiving yards, a touchdown, but he looked incredible. I mean, and, and really liked how they were getting him in, involved in the passing game, I think he's got a huge, huge future. The you know during the game, the the TV crew couldn't stop, uh, you know, couldn't shut up about how Jeff Collins used the name Reggie Bush 
you know, when describing Gibbs. So I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet, but <laughs> it was uh, Reggie Bush might have been the favorite player to watch I've ever seen. But Gibbs was who do you lose that natty to? <laughs> Texas State. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the you know flashes that we saw from Gibbs were were. Super, super exciting. Georgia Tech's got a, a really, really bright future, I think. Jeff Collins is going to make them very competitive. They'll be in a lot of games this year, but I think in the next year or two, you know, they're going to climb the ladder in, in the ACC and be in the mix. I mean, they're, he's going to recruit at a level maybe that can can push Clemson eventually. That's probably out there. North Carolina's doing that as well. So the gap is closing a little bit. Xavier is not happy with me. I, I, I think I, I let got... Nick talk too long, Xavier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's, he's going to – Jeff Collins can recruit. <laughs> he's got, he, he's we'll got, we'll say well, hey, all look. this for, for February. Sure. But, yeah, right, right. But anyway. You, you're, you're absolutely right about – I saw uh, a about, glimpse of the future, and it was exciting. But yeah, I'm yeah. happy that I, you I think that's that. more you, – maybe <laughs> we should have, you know, okay, glimpse of the future. We'll okay, be back know. here. I got two of them. Let's not start challenging Clemson yet. You just lost by three touchdowns, uh, four touchdowns. He's going to bring in – He, he and look, Gibbs, he already run. has. Okay, you, I, you brought I, in, I, apparently, Reggie Bush 2.0. So, Xavier, please. Uh, <laughs> Just, just talk about the game more than what Nick just said. I really do think, okay, for, first and foremost, I, I've been wanting to get this out, period. Georgia Tech, learn how to kick a field goal. This is back-to-back weeks. You've had a field goal block. All the talent he wants and to bring. And then teach in, the NFL, by the way, yeah. to kick a field goal. And, you know, he wants to bring in all this talent. Bring in a long snapper, a holder, five offensive linemen, or however you need on the formation to be able to stop somebody from getting through on a field goal. I feel sorry for the kid. He should be like four or four right now. And he's like, oh, he's like one of five. It's it's really a tough situation for him. I did like Georgia Tech from this point of view. They made sure that Jeff Sims, at least in the first half, was limited in the pass attempts that he had. They made sure, once again, like I said with Grant Wells, that they kept him from being in long down and distances. They also allowed him to run more. This is something we didn't necessarily see in the Florida State game until the end that I definitely saw in this game was they allowed him to get out of the pocket. They allowed him to make moves with his feet, and that was obviously a positive for them. Their biggest issue, and this showed, I think this might be a conditioning issue, really. The athletes from UCF at the end of the ball game just were running by them at the end of the game, and Georgia Tech had no answers. And this is where you get to a lack of depth from all of the poor years of recruiting. It's really good quarters one through three. But we saw that the athletes from UCF just hounded them in the fourth. And that's where all of the big plays started to happen. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, UCF scored 21 of their 49 in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, just to give you guys an idea of how close that game could have been. Uh, you know, and, and that's the kind of the, 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 no, the, the really big thing for me that I saw from UCF. They did with a, with a national championship quote-unquote contender would do is that they flexed their muscles when they saw a weakness. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really like UCF. I think my pick of Dylan Gabriel being Heisman is still on the table. I, you know, you know, I, I took it away last week. I'm bringing it back this week. Dylan Gabriel for Heisman might be an opportunity here. Um, and, and I'll go to Nick's point lastly, and I won't belittle it too much. I won't crack on it. <laughs> but Georgia Tech does this, Nick. 
Every three years, they have a team that almost wins double digits. They did it three years ago. They went to the Orange Bowl and they lost to Mississippi State. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They did that with two and three stars. Jeff Collins yeah. is bringing in high four-star players. And once again, oh, well, we have plenty of time. Yeah, oh, actually, <laughs> they're going to do it in three years again. They'll make the Orange Bowl and then they'll go back to the Georgia Tech we all know and love, which was the one we saw on Saturday. Now, uh, the big game night that got the national attention was uh, Louisville and Miami. And Miami wins this one 47-34, kind of going away late in this game. And um, just what we saw was two really good offenses and one really, really terrible defense. And Louisville's defense is god-awful. They let in possession uh, by so much 38 minutes to 22 that was pretty much the split there a 16 minute difference and they barely had more yards than miami My, miami just scored quickly and in chunks it was uh super fast uh you know derrick king was uh, pretty efficient 18 of 30 325 yards three touchdowns cameron harris only nine carries but he had a 75 yard touchdown um, you know, uh, Brevin Jordan was jumping over linebackers looking very good here. So, uh, Miami really pulled away, uh, in the third quarter in this game and, uh, Barry Louisville, Nick. Yeah. And, and bringing up the third quarter specifically and, and your point to time of possession, how's this? I mean, you know, Miami one play, 75 yards, Cameron Harris, 13 seconds, give the ball back to Louisville. Yeah. He gave up the touchdown. Okay. Six minute drive. Next play, get it back, 75-yard pass, one play, 11 seconds to, to Jalen Knighton. So, you know, if you score, <laughs> if you go 150 yards and two touchdowns in less than 30 seconds and two plays, yeah, hey, you guys keep the ball. I don't care. But uh, the Miami offense looked great. I mean, you know, we, we talked about the promise we saw against UAB that maybe it didn't fully click. There, there were obviously some things to clean up, but – for what we saw against Louisville, and, and I absolutely agree with your point that, that you know, the cards have a lot of work to do defensively, but Derek King, you know, almost 11 yards per pass, three touchdowns, 325 yards, looked great, didn't even need him to run. Uh, Cameron Harris had that big, you know, that big 75-yard uh, touchdown, but also, you know, went over 130 for, for the second straight game. And, and Brevin Jordan, you know, talk about athletic tight ends. Uh, he is a guy that can, you know, you can move around like a chess piece and, and play a lot of different roles. Somebody, you know, that skill set really gets me excited. So uh, saw some great things from Miami offensively. Uh, did not see the, you know, the growth defensively that we were hoping to see from Louisville if they were going to, you know, get in the mix and, and try to contend for a, uh, you know, the, the top quarter uh, of the ACC standings this year. But you know, they've got some players too. You know, Malik Cunningham, Javon Hawkins, Tutu Atwell. Those guys, they they put up put up yards, put up points. Uh, they just need a little help from the defense and, and didn't get it tonight, but uh, they're going to be a dangerous team throughout the year. But uh, I, I was pretty pretty pleased with what I saw from Miami. Our, our numbers, we've talked a lot about them, uh, have been high on them all along. And it's good to see them back it up a little bit. I'm trying not to get too excited, but, uh, you know, w was pleased with what we saw. And Xavier, your thoughts on this Miami-Louisville game? Let them have it. Miami's offensive line was there. I, 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 I thought I was watching a different game. I thought it was 2001. <laughs> you know, I, I was 
I was pleasantly surprised. Louisville only had well, one. Well, you only have to hold up for one play. I think it's kind of easy, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, they had they had a breather, that's for sure. Long breathers at that rate. Uh, you know, Louisville only had one sack on the night, three quarterback hurries. That's a good night for the offensive line. Good job, Miami. And I will say this as well. They won the turnover battle. Three turnovers to Z, three turnovers for Louisville, zero for Miami. Looks like it was really the difference here. Um, obviously, the big plays count as well. But when you're able to take the ball out of the Louisville's offense's hands, which we know how explosive it can be, Louisville won, if I'm not mistaken, in every other offensive category. Total yards, 516 to uh, Miami's 485. They ran the ball for more yards with 209 to then 160. You know, they, they did what they were supposed to do from an offensive standpoint. Louisville's defense and their ability to keep the football was just bad. And, and Miami pounced all over it, so kudos to them for that. Um, I'm not ready, just like Nick isn't. Nick might be closer than I am, but I'm not ready to jump on the Miami bandwagon just yet. Give me another couple of weeks. Um, their schedule pans out with FSU this week and then the big one in, th- in three weeks against Clemson on the road. That will be when I can finally decide on whether how good or bad I feel about Miami. These next two weeks are going to tell me a lot. Uh, but I love Derek King. He's definitely got to be in your Heisman race. If he's not, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what games you're watching. I'm putting Cole in the fire on that Miami bandwagon. I absolutely. Uh, so, here we go. Uh, I'm uh, look, man. It was. Is it going to work with Derek King? And obviously, losing uh, Russo. Uh, uh, hurts, um, you know, opting out and all that stuff. But uh, I, I think that my, you you have to look at these first couple weeks and, and just see the progression from one week to the next for Miami and go, well, if they did this in one week against a good Louisville team, what are they going to do this week against Florida State? Now, look, Florida State could derail the whole thing. I might be uh, throwing in coal. Uh, on this fire and then you know uh, someone just comes and douses it uh, with a bunch of water so we'll see what Florida State can put together uh, they have to look better than they looked, uh, you know last nope. week so um, you know they, they have to be better but what else happened this week that kind of surprised you Nick I think my biggest surprise wasn't really in games but it was um, uh, Bailey Hawkinson starting for uh, NC State I just you know this I don't think this was mentioned anywhere, and uh, NC State uh, beat Wake Forest too. I mean that was a probably a little bit closer than it should have been, but uh, I you know outside of that I mean you know Clemson wins, um, UTEP barely wins, Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss. Uh, the other big surprising uh, reaction as far as a game goes would be maybe. Louisiana having to take Georgia State into overtime, 34-31, and uh, Oklahoma State looking unbelievably inefficient without Spencer Sanders was something, too. So, uh, Nick, your thoughts on the rest of the action from Week 3? Yeah, I mean, the the Oklahoma State was a surprise. Uh, just sort of the way it played out, like it, it maybe would have been less surprising if this had been a back-and-forth shootout and, and Tulsa had somehow managed to keep it close, but the fact that they really weren't able to, to move the ball, and especially after Sanders uh, went out. Just wasn't, you know, they, they uh, Tylen Wallace had zero targets in the first half. Uh, so they, they fixed a couple of things after halftime and, and eventually got the win. But, you know, if, if you were somebody that's thinking Oklahoma State's going to compete with Oklahoma and Texas for the Big 12 title this year, this certainly wasn't the best start. I, I don't think we should write them off completely because we've seen Oklahoma State in the past 
kind of play down to lesser competition, but but really get up and, and play to a higher level against uh, top quality teams. So just sort of, you know, uh, see what we can learn from it. I, I'm sure uh, the coaching staff and players have as well, and hopefully Spencer Sanders will be able to get back uh, healthy soon. But that was a, a bit of a surprise. Uh, I, I wasn't shocked by Georgia State uh, keeping it close with Louisiana because Louisiana is coming off of, a, you know, it's kind of a hangover effect type game and they've got to travel on the road, start conference play, you know, a lot of, a lot of things in the mix. Uh, it was really in, in my takeaway from that game was maybe uh, somewhat impressed with Louisiana to, to, to let it not, you know, snowball and, and let the game get away from them, but to, to fight back and win it. Uh, was was something maybe they can build on, not take it as a, ooh, you know, we, we uh, avoided disaster there and, and whatever, but just, hey, okay, we, we took care of business. It wasn't great, but, you know, we're not going to let that happen again. So maybe that's a, a positive sign. Uh, others, the, the NC State thing is, is something I probably should have brought up when I was talking about the depth charts because, yeah, the only thing we, we did here was Devin Leary is our starter. And, you know, all off season, he's the guy. But we find out, you know, right before kickoff that he'd missed upwards of 20 practices due to, you know, contact tracing and, and things like that. So uh, that's just something that, that we're going to have to to deal with. But, but you know, uh, 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 what's his name? Hawkman? Uh, yeah, Hawkman. I think I called him Hawkinson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and I think I called Devin Leary, Dennis Leary. Yeah. I think we're <laughs> Butchering names but, here today, but uh, Hawkman, you know, played well enough that he's the starter now. We expect, and then Leary eventually will will get up to full speed, hopefully, and, and you know, be back in the mix. But you know, good good problem to have. He he played quite well. Uh, wasn't always the prettiest, but got the job done for sure. Your thoughts on uh, the rest of week three, Xavier? Any surprises to you? Nick, I'm shocked you didn't bring this up. We've got to talk about Navy. How? Oh, yeah. oh, I wish yeah. we knew to talk about Navy. Yeah, coming back. That, <laughs> yeah. was, that was shocking. I mean, they oh, looked yeah. like the same Navy team that got From beaten to the yeah. dirt <laughs> for three quarters. Uh, so, yeah, good, great, great Absolutely. Uh, point Absolutely. here, Xavier. Yeah, I was... I was about to text in the group chat. Well, uh, Navy's back to being Navy again after seeing them down 24 nothing at halftime. And then to see them do it through the air in the second half, you know, they almost scored a touchdown on one deep pass. They scored a touchdown on a second one. Their two-point conversion was also through the air. It was so un-Navy-like to see them have success through the air consistently in a half and in a way to bring them back. I think it shocked Tulane. Uh, I think Tulane wasn't expecting them to go to a passing uh, type offense in the second half. Although obviously, you know, the running back had 25 carries for 127 yards. The you know the Navy quarterback threw for a, a buck 39 and the touchdown. So I think that it, they that definitely shocked the defense. It probably shocked the entire coaching staff. It definitely shocked me. But they needed this. Navy needed a boost to their system. If Tulane was able to hold on or worse, make the lead any bigger, Navy would have just been in the dumps uh, for the rest of the year, but for them to come back from down 24 to nothing to win it 27, 24 kudos to them. That's a huge win for them. Uh, and after a week, as the commentators could only describe it as they were talking about, they went full contact the entire week. They made sure they hit each other all the time, whether they were on the fields in the locker room in the cafeteria, they were hitting each other at the, all the time. So uh, it definitely paid off and big win for the midshipmen. 
Absolutely. Anything else from week three uh, that, that caught your eye? Uh, other than I, Well, you guys talked about Georgia State. I was pleasantly surprised by the defense in the first half because obviously defense was optional last year. Um, but I was more surprised by the quarterback play. You know, uh, Brown looked – did not look like a freshman in large parts of that game. I think that Georgia State went away from what worked in that game, which is why they ultimately lost that game. Uh, they had him throw the ball – 39 times and as a freshman you never want a freshman throwing the ball almost 40 times in a game especially when you run for 200 plus yards as a team uh you know i just think that they went away from that and and louisiana capitalized on it they played a tired defense in that second half because they were able to control the ball on the ground and it really worked in their favor Uh, other than that that's all i got all right well how did we do in uh week three nick how did we look it's still i want to you know, always uh, give the the disclaimer. It's still very, very early, but last week was an excellent week, and uh, we went nineteen eleven overall uh, combined against the spread in totals. That's sixty three point three percent. That brought our our season uh, rate to fifty four point four, or thirty seven and thirty one overall combined ATS and and uh, over under. So. Felt good about that. And then, you know, we touched on it in, in the last uh, couple of weeks. But when all three of our different projections agree, that's something I'm, I'm really paying attention to this year. When our official number matches up with our talent edge number and matches up with our uh, stats base. So we, we try to do stats only. We try to do talent only. And then we mesh everything together. And when all three of them line up, uh, you know, last week was was really great. Was six and one, uh, both straight up and against the spread. So that included outright winners for Navy, who was a seven point underdog for Boston College, who was six point underdog. Miami, when we posted our official uh, numbers, were a two and a half point underdog. They kind of went back and forth uh, throughout the week, but uh, we had them as an underdog. And, and then Louisiana Tech, fortunate to win that one, but. Uh, you know, uh, another good showing. So very, very pleased with that. But still, through three weeks, we've played fewer games than we would uh, normally see in, in a single week one. So uh, do keep that in mind. We're, we're off to a good start and, and coming off a really nice week. But uh, it is still is still early. So I mean, uh, it, it's nice that you remain humble and cautious. Because Xavier and I would be over here shooting off fireworks, yeah, and, uh, buying lottery tickets. I have and- a, <laughs> I oh man, I I uh, I've learned in the past that, that yeah. one of the <laughs> as soon and this goes with this, this goes really. Uh, this comes from my coaching days, but I think it can apply to a lot of things. As soon as you start to think you're good. You, you'll find you out reminded. pretty quick that <laughs> you you're probably reminded. not. So it ain't all that enough, right? Enough. Exactly. So we, I, I, we are not, not ready to. You know, if we can put up these numbers in, uh, you know, through December, sure, I'll, I'll talk all off season. But I'll do it for you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. We are yeah, not ready to all, do that. All yet. the listeners. I mean, everyone, everyone will be uh, very, 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 very happy with all the money they're making. So. Uh, well, let's get into this week, guys, and we're going to do it a little bit different. Normally, we have some games laid out, but we wanted to kind of shoot from the hip this week and make it a little more informal in this section. So uh, let's let's go with, uh, you know, youth before uh, age. I knew it. I, I knew it. Let's go. What are you, not ready? You want me to go to Nick first? Oh, no. I, I, have, I have two games in mind. 
Okay, so you get to you jump into your two games, and I'll I'll give you the line on them, and then you can uh, break down why they are interesting to use, Javier. Yeah, first game on the docket for me is Louisville at Pitt. Uh, this is a game that I think are two completely opposite styles of play. Um, on Pittsburgh's side, you have a team that's going to rely on their defense. They did it last week. Uh, winning a close game versus Syracuse, Kenny Pickett didn't look all that great, but the defense looked great for all 60 minutes for the most part, uh, outside of giving up one big play to Syracuse. On the opposite end, you have Louisville, which is all offense and no defense, and we saw it on Saturday night. So it's a contrast of styles here. Um, I really am going to enjoy this game also for the quarterback play. I love Kenny Pickett. I love his style. He's a rough and tumble kid who is going to give you his all every single play. Um, so I really enjoy that from him. Uh, for me, I also want to see how does Louisville play after what was such a big game for them? Will they have a lull going into week two uh, or going into this game? And from Pitt's perspective, uh, I definitely think that they were maybe looking ahead to this game. So they might be a little bit more prepared for this than they were uh, for Syracuse last week. I know that on the list right now, you know, it's pretty evenly matched. Um, I think personally Pitt will win this ball game. I think defense beats offense anytime. Uh, although I think Louisville's superstars in Javion Hawkins and Tutu Atwell will get their numbers. I think overall Pitt will have enough defense to win this game as well as I love Pitt's secondary. I love Paris Ford. I think he's a middle of the middle of the road, maybe late first round draft pick. Um, so I really like that matchup between him and possibly Tutu Atwell in the slot. Let's see how that goes. Uh, but I got Pitt winning this game. Uh, so yeah. And they're favored in this one. Uh, they are favored by three points and the over is 55 on that one. So Nick, your thoughts on uh, Pitt hosting Louisville. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting matchup. And, and I talked about how early it is. This is only, uh, well, we've got two or three this week, ranked versus ranked mm -hmm. uh, teams in the AP poll. And, and prior to this, we've only had two all year. So uh, that's a, a subset that we pay attention to. Our numbers have done well historically in, in these big games. So this was certainly an intriguing matchup. And it was, it was really interesting to see how our numbers shook out because uh, our stats projection gave Pitt, you know, a slight edge as a two-point favorite. Our uh, talent edges said it was basically even, but, you know, Pitt ahead by percentage points. Uh, and then our official projection, uh, we have Pitt winning, but only as a, a two-point favorite. So every single, you know, set lines up with Pitt winning, but Louisville covering the three points was just kind of a, a pretty – narrow uh, area to be, but uh, it should be a, a great matchup. And, and, you know, Xavier, you, you, you mentioned the individual matchups that are going to be really exciting. Pitt's pass rush and its secondary are among the best mm -hmm. uh, in the ACC for sure. And, and, you know, people have been talking about the, the defensive line as, as arguably the best in the country uh, leading up to this point. And unfortunately they're not at full strength necessarily, but, uh, have, have been playing great so far and, and will be uh, very much a, uh, you know, a test for Louisville. Uh, but also on, on the other, you know, on the other yeah. side, uh, Louisville is, is going to put up a lot more of a fight offensively than Syracuse did for sure uh, last week. And, and Eastern, uh, who'd, they play, who'd Pitt play? Austin P. prior to that. So, so this is the by far, by far the biggest test that this defense has faced uh in this this early season so great matchup really excited to see it you know we don't have a huge edge one way or the other 
even though all three of our projections line up, it's, it's the margin is so narrow that I'm, I don't have huge confidence in that, but uh, we're technically on Louisville and, and uh, the final uh, score prediction is, is uh, I believe it's, you know, 29, 27, something along those lines. So it should be a, should be a well-played uh, hard fought game and, and probably come down to the, to the final seconds. I would hope. What's your second game, Xavier? And let me uh, let me spit out the uh, the line real quick for it. Yeah, it's Mississippi State at LSU. Uh, Mississippi State and LSU. That line is going to be uh, LSU by sixteen and a half, and the over is fifty seven and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm already going to debunk both of those. I think that this is going to be a sloppy affair. I think this is going to be a, a turnover battle uh, to see who wins. Um, I think it's going to come down to which quarterback can be more poised. Uh, we've been waiting for a long time to see who Miles Brennan can be in the LSU offense. And obviously stepping into this year, he's got a lot to back up after the year Joe Burrow had. Uh, more importantly, he's got a lot to do with how much talent that they've lost. I mean, his number one receiver decided to opt out this year, and he and the only real returning offensive uh, numbers that they have will be from Terrence Marshall, who was the third receiver last year. And you can call him the fourth receiver behind Clyde Edwards-Alaire if you want to. Uh, so this offense, for me, I really am looking to see how well they play, um, especially against a Mississippi State defense that for the last – two or three years has been a sleepily good defense in the SEC. Uh, the only thing that they haven't had is an offense. And now they have KJ Costello. Now they have Kylan Hill, a one-two punch that might be able to keep Mississippi State in this ball game. Uh, for me also, I just want to see how Mike Leach coaches in his first SEC game. I want to see how his offense transfers over when the speed and the talent gap is as big as it is. Obviously, LSU has the talent gap in this game. They have the gap as well in head coaching rating, as well as on the defensive roster strength rating. However, Mississippi State has the offensive offensive strength rating uh, gap in this game as well. And so I think this is going to be a closer game than we get giving credit for. I think Mississippi State can keep this close. I think LSU would win by 7 or 10 uh, at the most. And, and I don't think it's going to get to 59 points. If I'm not mistaken, that's what you said was the over-under. Uh, I'm looking for this game to be much more of a 23-17 to 17 type contest 23 to 10 type contest uh, i think like i said it's going to be heavily based on the trenches who can win the battle in the trenches offensive line uh, versus defensive line and, and i'm going to give the edge to lsu i just think that they at the end of the day they have too much talent and uh, i don't know how mike leaf is going to do coaching wise in his first game uh in the sec especially with it being on prime time i think this is the cbs game in the future as well so. this is uh, a really interesting matchup as well seeing lsu come back after uh you know Last year's just historic season and so many new faces on both sides of the football. What are they going to look like? Uh, you know, we, we know that they have still one of the best secondaries in the country. We know that uh, even even with some opt outs, uh, you know, Jamar Chase being the, the, the big one on offense. I, I'm still optimistic that LSU is going to be able to put up a lot of points this year. I think that the offense isn't going to change that much. I know that. Joe Brady got a lot of the credit for the steps that they took offensively, but I imagine they're going to do most of the same things. And, and Steve Ensminger was, was definitely part of that process last year and, and is still the offensive coordinator. So uh, really intrigued with that, really excited. Uh, the, the hype train for Eric Gilbert, the true freshman tight end is just uh, rolling like a, you know, <laughs> when when will it ever stop? Uh, just some of the things that we've heard 
you know, could be the best tight end in college football as a true freshman. It's kind of hard to, to live up to that, but, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be super, super exciting to watch. They're three deep at running back. We don't know who's going to, you know, get the bulk of the carries necessarily, but any of them could step up. You know, we didn't, we didn't know Clyde Edwards Alaire was going to be uh, a first round pick or, or, you know, even the starter this time last year. So they're, they're going to be fine, I think, offensively. And, and I think that uh, they've got enough talent, especially in the secondary, uh, that, that they're going to be, you know, uh, they're going to be very, very dangerous defensively as well. Bo Pelini, new defensive coordinator, has a, a, a strong track record. So I, I think they're going to be fine. Depth, a little bit of an issue, and experience, a little bit of an issue. But overall, you know, LSU is, is definitely uh, still going to be a, a team to contend with uh, in the SEC West. No longer, you know, the favorite, but uh, they're sixth in our overall power rankings, third in the SEC. So, no, you know, even with those huge, huge losses personnel-wise, we, we expect some good things. Mississippi State, a lot of unknowns. Mike Leach, we expect the offense to be very, very good. He's got a lot of high-rated uh, players to work with, including a maximum hundred rater, uh, you know, hundred rated player in our individual player ratings. Uh, KJ Costello, at quarterback, Kylan Hill, also a one hundred rated player, brought in uh, a, a few, you know, JUCO guys and transfers. The receiving core, so got has some some uh, toys to work with offensively. The defense, I think, is going to be pretty bad. So. They're going to have to win shootouts if, if they're going to win games this year. Uh, I would expect this game to be fairly high scoring. So, you know, I, I know that the the total has gone up and up and up and up all week, and, and our projection still uh, has the over the last I checked. So uh, we expect a, a, a pretty high scoring game. We do expect Mississippi State to be able to hang with LSU. And, and I think the first game – of a new season with so many new faces, not only on the field, but at the coaching staff for LSU. I know Mississippi State's dealing with a lot of the same things, but I think they're kind of more or less on even playing field uh, from that stance. So I, I think that kind of limits whatever uh, talent advantage there is, which which we think is pretty close. We have LSU only as a uh, about a three and a half point favorite if we're looking at talent only. So uh, I think that this could be a fairly close game, closer than the the market thinks at the moment. We've got uh, Mississippi State is about a two touchdown underdog. So to to cover uh, and, and you know the stat projection is about a one touchdown difference. So we're we're you know things line up for us on Mississippi State. I don't have huge confidence in that, but this is a subset that performed really, really well for us last year, has been pretty good for us all year. So, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping maybe that LSU starts a little bit slow. Uh, they'll, they'll, I'm sure, get up to speed, but maybe in, in game one, you just get a win and get out of there. So uh, I think that this could be, you know, a, a one touchdown uh, to maybe, a, a, you know, a 10-point uh, difference in, in the fourth quarter with sort of the, you know, the game on the line as far as who's going to cover, who's not. Uh, but we, we think Mississippi State can keep it close enough. I mean, I feel like I have so many games I want to ask you guys about this week, but uh, I'll, I'll narrow it down to two. And the first one I want to ask about is, Nick, just your overall thoughts on uh, Auburn being seven-and-a-half-point favorites against Kentucky. Because uh, Kentucky is ranked right now. Uh, yep. you know, they haven't played, but they're 23rd. And but they lost 
literally everything in their offense last year with Lynn Bowden taking off. So, um, I mean, Terry Wilson has experience, but does he have enough experience to really, uh, you know, tangle with a, a great Auburn team here that we expect to be in the running for the majority of the year? Yeah, this this game was top of my list for sure as far as just a really, really – intriguing matchup and the two ranked teams certainly makes it, you know, fairly obvious, but Kentucky is, is uh, a a team that is the one keeping me up at night because (laughs) a lot of projection models that, that I pay attention to a lot of really, really smart people, both numbers, people and film people, talent evaluation uh, folks that, that I respect, you know, are, are really high on Kentucky. Everyone's talking about it seems like Kentucky's underrated. Kentucky's underrated. And, you know, they're in our top 25, which basically most of the SEC is. They're, they're 24th uh, as far as all, you know, 130 teams go. But uh, we've talked before. That's how everybody would stack up uh, who would be favored over who on a, on a neutral field. So a little bit different than a poll. But um, our numbers just don't love Kentucky. And, you know, I had a conversation on Twitter earlier today about how we do have Tennessee uh, one spot higher in our ratings. And, and there was a bit of a you know thought among some of those smart people that I was talking about. How could Tennessee be ahead of Kentucky in the preseason media poll? You know, obviously, these people aren't paying attention. Well, I think I pay pretty close attention. And, and <laughs> you know, Kentucky, yes, has a very, very good offensive line. They have a solid defense. They have a track record. They have overperformed our projections and other people's opinions a lot in the past. And, and so that is why the, the number has, you know, the, the gap between Kentucky and Tennessee is, is much closer than it would be if it were only based on talent, based on, on talent alone. Uh, and I know we're not talking about Tennessee here, but, uh, you know, based, based on talent alone, Kentucky is – in the bottom quarter of, of the SEC. So, you know, on paper, when you're looking at Auburn, Auburn's top 10 in terms of almost all of our, you know, talent metrics. And so on paper, it, it seems like this absolutely should be, and Auburn is a, a two touchdown favorite because we, we factor in talent a lot. And, you know, even putting in our, our coach ratings and team performance, things like that, Auburn kind of outperforms Kentucky anyway. So, you know, factor in that, that our numbers don't necessarily buy in to Kentucky. And our numbers are, are pretty high on Auburn. They're a top 10 team, uh, according to, you know, not not just talent numbers, but when we factor everything in and our overall team strength rating. So they have some questions, offensive line first and foremost, uh, but – you know, inexperience on defense. They kind of are, are the inverse in some ways of Kentucky uh, with, with their question marks. But our numbers think it's pretty clear. We have Auburn as almost a two-touchdown favorite in this one. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of really smart people would disagree with that. But but our uh, final score projection is 30-17. And I'm, I'm just really interested to see Kentucky because I agree with you. Lynn Bowden. He was, was everything. He was the offense last year. And, yeah. and they played solid defense. Part of that is because they played at a relatively slow pace. I mean, Lynn Bowden, yeah, absolutely broke off 50-yard you know, rush, uh, you know, runs every once in a while. But 
you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I want to see them with my own eyes. I want to see 2020 Kentucky because when I'm looking at it on the spreadsheet, I just, I don't, I don't really see it. So uh, yeah. maybe I could, they can convince me in this game, keep it close, maybe pull off an upset, but uh, our numbers are, are pretty firm on uh, that Auburn should be favored by at least a touchdown in, in pretty much everything, but uh, by almost two touchdowns in our official projections. So. Xavier, what, what are your thoughts on Auburn and Kentucky? Because I agree with Nick. I think, I think Kentucky can be very good this year, but I don't expect them to put it together week one against Auburn. And you expect Auburn to put it together? Uh, That's I, a fair point. I really like Kentucky. In this game, uh, I'm not going to say for the entire year. I don't know what Kentucky is going to look like. Obviously, one of the biggest issues for Kentucky over the last couple of years has been staying healthy. So I won't go ahead and say that they are going to be a team to watch out in the SEC East. However, in this matchup week one, I really like Kentucky. I don't know. I'm leaning on the side of picking them in the upset. But I think Auburn, from an offensive perspective, you have to look at what they lost. First off, Booby Whitlow leaves midway through the summer, decides to leave the school uh, for personal reasons. Uh, and I'm not confident. I'm not ready to put Bo Nix as the guy yet. This is a guy coming off of a second year, which is very up and down. Yes, he wins the Iron Bowl, but he also has some piss-poor performances in there as well. And for me, I want to see what Bo Nix is made of. And I don't know if we'll necessarily learn in this game, but we will absolutely learn if they lose this game. Uh, and, and you talked about talent that Kentucky lost last year, but we're talking about an Auburn team that lost the best two defensive, t- uh, defensive players on the team last year, and they're having to replace that talent up front. Yes, Big Cat Bryant is one heck of a guy. Uh, yes, Big, uh, Big Cat Bryant is one heck of a player, and I think he'll be able to fit in there nicely. However, for me, I think that Kentucky has a better offensive line, and I think that he's they're going to be able to maybe push around this Auburn defensive front, which is going to bode well for Kentucky. I think this game stays close. I think Auburn, if they win, they win it maybe in the fourth quarter in the last couple of drives by seven. Um, I'm drinking the, the uh, Kentucky Kool-Aid for this week. I really like Terry Wilson. I think if he doesn't get hurt last year, he would have left and went pro. I think if he was able to, I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken. But I really like Terry Wilson. Yes, he's coming back from injury, but I also understand that he's a guy who has won big games and has been a productive member of that team, and I'm expecting that from him this year. I think Kentucky will make this closer than I think a lot of people are saying. So I got Auburn by the skin of their teeth. The the second game, Nick, that I, I want you to, to just inform me on that confuses me is Iowa State as two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road against TCU, and I know TCU's offense is uh, taking some hits. Uh, it has not looked great, and uh, we're probably going with Downing over Doug in week one and all that good stuff. But Iowa State has looked not great uh, nope. in, in their uh, performances so far this year. So it, are we going with TCU? Are we going with Iowa State? Or what are we looking at in this one? Because this one confuses me. Yeah, this one, this one sets up pretty similarly to uh, the Louisville pit game. Oddly enough, where our numbers line up, but the margin is very, very tight. So I, I don't love when that happens. I, w- I would like uh, to have a little bit more of a gap if I'm going to label this as one of our, you know, when all three of our uh, projections agree. But w- we think that Iowa State probably should win this game. It's it's uh, when I made the official 
uh, note earlier, Iowa State was about a half point favorite. That's moved up to about a, a point and a half based on some of the adjustments that I made to TCU's depth chart. But again, you know, that depth chart was a little bit weird. So still that's within, you know, it didn't change the projection. We, we expect Iowa State to win a, a very close game, but for TCU to cover, you know, the, the two and a half. So that lines up, the talent edges, very, very similar. Iowa State's about a, a two, two and a half point favorite if you only look at talent. And then if you go for the, the pure stats projection, just based on the last five years, all the, the team stats, all the coaches, head coaches and coordinator stats, uh, add it all up and it's basically, uh, you know, a, a, a toss-up. You know, it's it's a zero point two uh, point difference between uh, TCU and and Iowa State there. So this should be a, a really really excellent game. Uh, like any of the the quarterback issues that we've talked about before, all of our projections incorporate. Okay, this guy might or might not play. We've got Duggan listed as a co-starter with Downing, even if he weren't. You know, if he were out and, and the good news that we got, and it was great news. I mean, Duggan uh, sounded like had yeah. a, a career-threatening situation. So really, really happy that he's back on the field and, and hopefully will be able to play as soon as this week. But even if he were not to play at all, uh, it, it really doesn't change much for us. I mean, it might get very, very close to uh, Iowa State, you know, minus two and a half. I just did the... It's going to take a second since I just rebooted my computer, but yeah, I mean, still, you know, didn't didn't really change. So uh, we're, you know, I, I wish there were a bigger gap. This is not one that that I would say I'm super excited uh, about the way our projection shook out because it's very much in line with the odds makers and, and the market. But uh, we're on TCU, and and I do kind of expect that they'll bounce back a little bit. Uh, they did bring back. Uh, Sonny Cumbie uh, to to be basically the play caller. I don't think he has that offensive coordinator title, but when he was there before, before he left for Kansas, he was the play caller. Uh, they also brought in Jerry Kill, which some fans are uh, not necessarily excited about. Don't know that he's the, the most forward-thinking uh, person for uh, TCU offensively, which has been an issue in the last couple Running of years. Running up the so, middle. You know? It'll it'll be interesting because I don't really know what to expect from TCU, especially on offense. Mm -hmm. I think they will play solid defense. I think Iowa State will really be motivated to say, hey, week one, that's not us. Brock Purdy, I'm sure, you know, coming off is is the worst game he's ever had, uh, is going to be – uh, ready to go, ready to attack that that TCU defense. So it'll be a fun matchup. Should be a close game. Uh, we don't see a, a, a wide margin at all, but technically we're we're on uh, TCU and and uh, we have Iowa State winning, but TCU covering with the final score twenty eight twenty seven. And uh, Xavier, your thoughts on that uh, Iowa State TCU game? Yeah, I, I really like Iowa State here. I think that we saw what we saw was them get punched in the mouth week one that they weren't expecting. I don't think anybody was expecting Louisiana to do what they did in week one. I definitely wasn't. I don't think Iowa State was prepared for what they were going to see. However, I think we'll see more of what we expected from Iowa State in this game against TCU. I expect Brock Purdy to get back on track, uh, you know, and and right the wrongs he committed in that game versus Louisiana. Same thing for Brees Hall and that offense that really, really struggled. The defense, for the most part, against Iowa State 
or excuse me, against Louisiana, didn't really look all that bad. You got to remember three of their touchdowns came off of special teams. So yeah. if, they, if that's what you're taking, then the defense only gave up 10 points in that ball game. Uh, but from an offensive perspective, they just looked very abysmal. They looked, they struggled with man. And I know for a fact TCU looked at that and is licking their chops with the secondary that they have with Trayvon yeah. Morgan and company. They're going to come out there and run man. So Iowa State has to be prepared to be to have man beater routes ready to go. Uh, from a TCU perspective, I think it's they're going to look a lot like Iowa State did in Week One. I think the defense will come to play. I think the defense will have some say-so in how this game turns out. But that offense is something I'm really worried about. Max Duggan has still not, you know, convinced me that he's the ultimate starter for that team. Uh, we don't know what the running back situation is because obviously Gary Patterson put out that weird depth chart. So who knows who's going to be toting the rock for them on Saturday. Um, I just want to see from a TCU perspective, uh, some quarterback decide to be the quarterback. Uh, and that in, its, in and itself will make TCU a better team than what I think that they already are. Uh, but I like Iowa State here, um, so I'm going with the numbers. I like Iowa State by a score. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and Nick, your two games. Your uh, the the boss is the last man up. What are the two that you're interested <laughs> in this week? The the one that we haven't talked about probably that that interests me the most is another sort of uh, you know a team gives us fits a little bit. Army, uh, it has looked excellent this year, mm-hmm. uh, playing Cincinnati, a, a ranked versus ranked mm-hmm. matchup, and and our numbers have not <laughs> have not uh, caught up to, to Army quite yet. We've been very wrong in, in uh, their first two games. Uh, had you know the other team uh, with a, a huge huge talent edge, and, and that's the same here because you know Army basically ranks. 128, 129, 130, and basically every uh, talent metric. And then you're going to go against Cincinnati, who's one of the most talented G5 teams out there and, and a legitimate uh, top 30 team, uh, you know, it, it, as far as our numbers go. They, they do respect Cincinnati. So uh, it, it's, it's going to be a tough one because when our numbers do respect a, a team like Cincinnati, but they don't necessarily respect Army, although – this is the first week where I have incorporated 2020 team performance rating. So Army is ranked in the, you know, in the 90s, put up a 90 team performance rating overall and defensively and almost a 90 rating offensively. So they're about that's about as good as Army could hope for uh, as far as a boost to their overall numbers. So this might be uh, the, the best shot we have at, at kind of pegging uh, their their actual team strength just because it's so difficult with with a team that uh, you know has 200 guys on the roster but all of them are are two stars and they don't often play till they're juniors or seniors so it's, it's just tough for our numbers but uh, we still we're we're on Cincinnati I mean they're they're uh, two touchdown favorites our official projection has them as 17 point favorites so that's maybe uh, even a little closer than I, I might have expected. But Talon Edge, they've got almost a three-touchdown uh, difference there. But if we just look at stats only, that's the that's the you know big issue. Army has been so good this year, at least. And they've had some you know success last year, not included, really. But, but the two or three years prior to that uh, have been good enough that, that our stats-only model sees this as is about a field goal game. So it could go one of many, many different ways. Our numbers 
don't do a great job with Army, but I personally am, am you know, excited to see if we can improve upon that, but also excited because this should be a, a really fun matchup. So uh, we're on Cincinnati, but, you know, I, I don't have, like I'll often say, don't have a ton of confidence in that, uh, especially when Army's involved. So be fun to yeah. watch either way. I think in a game like that, I probably just usually take the under uh, on, on something like that because Army can't control the clock and, and all that stuff. Well, what is the um, – I forgot to give the line here on that one. 45 so. was what I saw. And that's – there. we're on – this is also something that I put on our, for our patrons. Uh, we're on a lot of overs this week. And you gotta I, go. don't, yeah. I don't like that. I don't yeah. want to be on a lot of overs. I uh, The under yeah, is usually – more, you know, there's usually more valuable, but that one, yeah, and, and Army can break off. I mean, yeah, they'll they'll have a 10 minute drive, but they might break off an 80 yard touchdown run. Honestly, so. I thought it was going to be closer to 60. I can't Same. believe it's so low. So yeah. uh, that you got to go over on that one. Zubier, We've got we 53. We've got 53. 53. That sounds, yeah, yeah. See, and if it was at 60, taking the under, what would make uh, would make a lot of sense. Your thoughts on that game, Zabir? Yeah, I think this is a perfect game for Army. Uh, they're playing a team in Cincinnati that's gonna that has has been for a while now a heavy defensive team. Uh, the offense for Cincinnati, as long as Desmond Ritter has been there, has not been a dynamic offense by any means. Uh, you know, last year the most points that they put up in a game was forty six points, but against Eastern Carolina. Uh, but this is a team that, for the most part, last year leaned on their defense in big games, and once again, that's what's gonna have to happen against Army. Uh, they've had enough time to prepare uh, they have haven't played a game or they just got done with austin p but they probably were preparing for army as preparing for austin p um if i'm to be honest quite honest with you i would go with the over in this situation um i like army and cincinnati to both score 20 plus points in this game and that's obviously going to go over the 45 that's allotted here um but I really want to see, once again, Nick kind of alluded to it a little bit, how Cincinnati deals with the time of possession offensively. When you're not a high-powered offense like Cincinnati has not been, you really have to take care of the football, one. And two, you have to make the most of your drives. Army's going to give you maybe seven drives to eight drives maximum. Uh, so I think that you have to make sure that you – score touchdowns as well because army is a team that typically finishes their drives off with touchdowns and not field goals and we've learned from army throughout you know watching them they don't care about fourth down if it's fourth and less than three they're going to go for it uh, no matter where they are on the field sometimes as well uh so i really like this game it's going to be a heavy defensive game so if you like defense this is the one to watch for you but i've got cincinnati here uh, by at least 10 points I won't go crazy, but I think that their defense is going to be able to stop that triple option and make and score the points on the back end. Yeah, that's still, I mean, at least 10 points is still throwing it up in the air because Cincinnati's favored by uh, 13 and a half in this game, 45. Ike Nick said is the over. So that is going to be a very, very interesting game to watch. But uh, Nick, uh, we're running up against it here. So we're going to skip a game and go. Uh, what, what, where are the ones where all three? Uh, agree. Uh, the, this list has hit. It's been pretty good to us recently. So let's hear it. It makes sense, I, I think, because uh, we we've got three uh, projection models, but they they try to look at games from different angles. You know, one, as I said before, is only stats uh, and past team performance. One is only talent, and then our our official numbers are where we take both of those and and uh, try to 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 you know, flesh out everything together. So when they all line up, I, I feel 
not as anxious maybe, <laughs> as I as I often do. Uh, but you know, like you said, last week was great. Uh, not sure that that'll be the case this week. But if you've made it through, uh, you know, one hour and, and forty minutes, uh, here's here's a little bit of a payoff. If, if you're not a patron, if you are a patron, you saw this uh, hours ago. So uh, the the first one that comes up is is Friday. Uh, you mentioned it, Xavier. You know, Navy was uh, looked really bad through through six quarters, and we were thinking, oh man. Navy might be bad. Well, you know what? You know who is bad? Middle Tennessee. Middle Tennessee is actually bad. Uh, but the, the problem is UTSA, not really sure if, if they're that good. So UTSA is seven-point favorite. Uh, our numbers do now reflect, like I said, the sort of the opposite of Army. The, the 2020 numbers are in for Middle Tennessee, so they're bringing them down in the mid-100s in our overall strength ratings. But we still think they'll be able to keep it within a touchdown. So we've got Middle Tennessee plus seven there. Uh, Kansas State and, and Oklahoma, it, it's really, really close on the official projection. It, it was a 28-point spread officially. I'm not sure if that's moved at all. And there have also been some whispers that Kansas State is still dealing with the fallout from uh, a COVID outbreak that, that could potentially put this game in jeopardy. But, uh, you know, the way our numbers shake out, we have Kansas State keeping it within 28 in, in every uh, projection. And, of course, the Wildcats did knock off Oklahoma last year, whatever for whatever that's worth. So uh, it, it's close, but we have that uh, fitting the criteria as well. We talked about Louisville. That's one. Uh, Syracuse has been in this group for us all three weeks. I don't love that, but uh, last week it, it worked out. They're eight point underdogs against Georgia Tech, who gave me uh, you know wanted to pull out my hair last week. Not don't know if they're good or not. Uh, still don't really know, but I don't know that they're eight points better than Syracuse. And, and pretty much everything uh, that our numbers show has it within three or four. So uh, actually, when our our very very first projection went out uh, late late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, uh, we had Syracuse as a the slightest of favorites. So. You know, don't feel great about that necessarily, but uh, think that they can keep it close with with Georgia Tech. It's it's as far as talent goes, they're pretty pretty similar uh, as far as our numbers go. So I think this might be Syracuse's best chance at a win, and and we'll see how that plays out. The one that Xavier is not going to like, uh, we think Charlotte should be favored over Georgia State, and that includes. Uh, Chris Reynolds, the, the really excellent Charlotte quarterback, uh, is out. We know that. But uh think that, that they actually have uh, a little bit of an edge as far as everything goes. So we, we think they'll win outright. They're two-and-a-half-point favorite. That's the only game this week when uh, our favorite differs from oh, wow. uh, the odds makers. So that was four and one last week. It was really, really good in that situation. This week it's the only game. So uh, who knows? Maybe we'll be 0-1. And uh, Xavier will be be happier about that. But uh, FIU, we think, can keep it within a touchdown against Liberty. Was really, really impressed with Malik Willis at Liberty last week. FIU has not played yet this year, but they've got a huge talent advantage, 11-point favorite if we're only looking at talent. So uh, that'll be an interesting one for sure. Uh, Mississippi State, like we said, Missouri. I don't know if I believe this, but we think 27 is too big of a number. Most of our numbers are, are within the 21-point range. Uh, Southern Miss, very, very close to being a team that we think should be favored as a, a three-point 
uh, five uh, point underdog. So uh, that one is is close, but we're on Southern Miss. Florida State has looked terrible. Miami has looked great, but that number seems a little too big. We're on Florida State plus 11. All three of our, our projections agree. And then this one I, I really actually kind of like. Personally, so far, this is the biggest uh, position that I've got this week is Troy plus 14 against BYU. BYU looked amazing against Navy in week one. They haven't played in a couple of weeks. Troy's pretty good. I know Middle Tennessee was bad, but Troy's pretty good. So uh, we've got it only as an 11-point difference. That doesn't seem huge, uh, but the the talent edge is much closer. The stats projection is much closer. So uh, we're on on Troy and and feel pretty good about that one. So hopefully that'll come through. Hopefully these uh, will provide some value. And and if there are any that that you guys just – totally disagree on uh let me know no no i I mean they i gotta have that (laughs) troy one because i have to start gunner watson now that my uh two of my quarterbacks got canceled this weekend so uh (laughs) let's go let's go troy i'm i'm in on that but uh we are up against it we do have to take off we appreciate you guys listening remember you can follow us on the twitter at bogman sports for me at cfb winning edge for nick at xavier underscore trish t-r-i-c-h-e for Xavier. Before we go, Nick, tell everybody about the Patreon, if you would. Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Like I mentioned, you get uh, all of these numbers before we talk about it on the podcast, and we try to give a little more detail uh, post throughout the week, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. All of our patrons, Tier 1 and up, so as little as 5 bucks per month, get access to all of those, but uh, all the really good stuff starts at, at Tier 2. Our FBS team profiles, 11,000 player ratings, uh, projections for all year, uh, updated depth charts for CFF purposes, and and just general uh, understanding as well. So that's fifteen bucks a month uh, if you want to join us at a, a as a tier two patron. Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. All right, we will see you guys next week. Good luck with all your bets, and take it easy, everybody. You can support this podcast on Patreon. Visit Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and pledge as little as five dollars per month to support the show and receive access to written content each week, including our matchup graphics, talent edge projections, and winners, all published before the podcast each week.